Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. We worship you this morning, Jesus. We do because we recognize how blessed we are as your people. And we recognize how good you are to us. And recognize the grace and the mercy in which we stand. We recognize the hope that we've been given. We recognize how good you are, how blessed we are. And so we come this morning and we simply pray, Lord Jesus, that you would draw us closer. Um, We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would challenge us this morning, particularly as we look at something like the heart. We pray, Heavenly Father, that the Spirit of God would be in this place and would be speaking to each and every one of us, that we would have ears to hear this morning, even when it's challenging and even when maybe we don't want to hear it, we pray, Lord Jesus, that we would have ears to hear. Because at the end of the day, we believe that you're good and we know if you draw us closer, it's actually it's for our good. You're drawing us into life. And so we pray that you would do that this morning, that you would speak. And this we pray for in the precious, precious name of Jesus. Amen, amen. You can take a seat. Well, good morning, everyone, and and welcome to church. This is week two of our series, Love Thy God, and this morning we're going to pick up where Nick left off last week as we have a look at the heart. Remember, this entire series is based on the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's an ancient prayer that the people of Israel recited daily. It was it was almost like a pledge of allegiance or, or, or a statement or a declaration of faith. In the actual prayer itself, it says, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel. And we've got to remember the significance of that word Shema or hear. Nick talked about it last week. is isn't just someone who recognizes that words are being spoken. But this is someone who's paying attention. And that word Shema means to soak in and absorb what's being said, that I might be changed by it. That's what God is calling His people to do, to hear. That's what He's calling us to do, to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. It's a call to love God with everything at our disposal, all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Now, on the one hand, we get that. It's not a particularly complicated call, but there's so much in those words that's just lost to us because of how removed we are from the context. So if we really want to understand this passage, then we're going to need to do a bit of work in the Hebrew. We're going to need to understand the context, the culture. See, we understand today, 2023, we understand the physiological aspect of the heart. And when I say we, I obviously mean some of the really smart people in this room who go on to be doctors and that kind of thing. I don't really understand anything. I get that it pumps blood around your body and it's a really important organ. I get that. But we get it. We get the physiological aspect of the heart. But the truth is, we see it is more than that. We do. It's not uncommon for us to talk about someone whose heart is broken. Now, that isn't true, and we all know that, but it's still a part of the language that we use as a culture. It's a cultural thing that we associate the heart 
with the emotional life of a person. It's a cultural thing, and it was for the Hebrews as well. So far, up until now, right, we've been on the same page. But this is where we start to diverge. Because the Hebrews saw the heart as the center of intellectual life as well. Well, they didn't have a concept for the brain. It just wasn't on their radar. So everything that we associate with the brain, they associated with the heart. You can see how that changes things, but there's more. Because they saw it as the seat of your desires as well. The place where you make decisions motivated or based on those desires. That's why scripture is always talking about the desires of your heart. And we, we kind of get that. But there's a lot in that. That actually this is the place where I grapple with things. This is where I make decisions based on the desires of my heart. So it was the generator of physical life. It was the center of emotional and intellectual life. It was also the seed of my desires, the place where I grapple with things and make decisions. Well, the Hebrew person, it was the core of who you are, the innermost part of your being. That's why we get to Proverbs 4, and Solomon says, above all else, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. That's why Jesus says a good man brings out good from the things, sorry, a good man brings good things, sorry, out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. The core of who you are, your innermost being. So the Shema isn't just a call to direct our warm, fuzzy feelings towards Yahweh. It's a call to love and honor him with the innermost part of our being. Your thoughts, your, your decisions and emotions, even your desires are on the table. And we're called to Ahava Yahweh, to act in loyalty and faithfulness even in our desires. That's not very PC in 2023, but that's the call. I hope you see the depth of what God is calling us into. This isn't something to be taken lightly. The bar is, is way up there. It doesn't leave any room for, for a Sunday Christian. It doesn't allow you to rope off parts of your heart and life and say, God, don't, don't come here. You can have all of that. I'm, I'm happy with that, but don't come here. No, it's It's pervasive. It permeates every fiber of your being and demands everything. That's the truth. The call demands everything. And you might be wondering, well, why, why would I sign up for that? That doesn't sound like good news. Well, I would echo what Nick said last week. The backdrop of all of this is Deuteronomy chapter 10. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and observe the Lord's commands and decrees. Why? That I'm giving you today for your good. That's what he says. That I give this to you for your good. 
And I truly believe that everything that God gives us is for our good. And the cross is all the evidence that I need. Why would he do that for me? Why would he take on my sin and shame only to turn around and drown me in meaningless rules? That doesn't make any sense. I know that he's for me. I know it with every fiber of my being. So I know on the other side of that call is the fullness of life that Jesus has for me. I believe that. I really do. When we get to Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus says, watch out, be careful. There are things in this world that seek to lure your heart away from me. They promise everything but deliver nothing. So be careful. Well, I hear that and I go, okay, I'm, I'm all ears. I want to know, Jesus, what it is that you're trying to protect me from. So let's read our passage together, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. It'll be up on the screen for you guys and for me as well. It says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You got a highlighter or, or a pen? I would underline that verse. It is the key. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of life, light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's a fairly well-known passage. And some of you might be sitting there thinking, Ah, I see what's happening here. It's Giving Sunday, so we're focusing on money. No. And what you give is between you and the Lord. If He tells you to give, do it. If he tells you not to, then don't. When Jesus is more than capable of looking after his church. So all that matters is our obedience. I don't have to pressure you into giving this morning. I don't want to do that, but I do want to be faithful to Scripture. And the truth is, Jesus isn't afraid to talk about money. He actually talks about it a lot. See, I don't feel awkward preaching this message because I know it's not about me. But who cares what I have to say? Especially when it comes to money. I, I know nothing. Who cares what I have to say? The only voice that matters is His. He cares about you. So you better believe that He cares about your heart. He understands the pull that materialism has on the human heart. He knows it's one of our greatest challenges. Whether or not we believe that, he does. Who knows it's one of our greatest challenges. So we get to verse 19 and Jesus says, what do you treasure? What are you chasing in life? What drives you? What, what gives you purpose? What are you looking for security and significance? 
Is it in the things of this world? Is it in, in, in money or, or a career or relationships, which are all good things, right? I mean, all of that is a good gift of God. And at some level, we need all of that. But the question is, are, are you chasing those things because that's where you find security and significance? If it is, you need to know that you will chase it to the detriment of everything else. That you won't be able to keep it in its rightful place. That you'll elevate it and build your life around it. And you won't have a choice. Because every one of us needs a sense of meaning and purpose and significance in our lives. We're all chasing it. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember, the Hebrew understanding of the heart is intellectual, it's emotional and physiological, but it's also the seed of your desires. It's the place where you make decisions based on those desires. So really what Jesus is saying is, what you value above all else will define you and determine the course of your life. And that's either the best of news or the worst of news, depending on what you treasure. But here's what I would say as your pastor. I would say don't spend your life chasing the things of this world. Don't allow them to define you. In the grand scheme of eternity, it is meaningless. Don't waste your life trying to prop yourself up on something that's here today and gone tomorrow, God redeemed you for so much more. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be passionate about your career. I'm not saying that you should quit and just, just walk around aimlessly. It's not what I'm saying. That we need Christians in every facet of society. And we need you to honor God in what you do in the excellence of your service in your workplace. It's how you are a light. It's how you honor him. I'm just saying don't allow it to define you. You don't need it. A career, a relationship, money, you don't need it to fuel your sense of security and significance because all of that is yours in Christ. All of it. The beautiful thing is that means you're free. In a world where people are enslaved to all kinds of things, you are free. So Jesus commands us to fix our eyes on the things of eternity, but then he gives us a way of holding ourselves accountable. A measurement, if you will. See, materialism is incredibly subtle. That's why it's so dangerous. It's pretty hard to commit adultery without realizing it. I think we could all agree with that, right? It's pretty difficult. But you could fall into materialism and have no idea. Completely blind. And I'll give you an example. Every once in a while, I'll get a text message from someone who wants to catch up. Sometimes that's because they miss me, and I don't blame them. But sometimes that's because they're struggling with things, and they want me to chat to them, and they want some help. And I've had coffee with dozens of people over the years. Dozens and dozens of people who said things like, you know, I'm just... Just really struggling with pornography or, or unforgiveness or whatever it is, and I just need some wisdom. I need you to pray with me. Well, I've had that conversation 
dozens of times, but I've never, ever had someone say to me, hey, I really need some wisdom. I just need you to pray for me because I'm struggling with greed. Not once. What does that say about us? We really think that we're immune from the culture that we interface with every single day. And I don't think there's any doubt of the commitment of our culture to consumerism and self-centered materialism. It's in your face 24-7. So why isn't this something that we talk about? Why isn't it out in the open? Why aren't we asking people to hold us accountable? The answer can't be that it's okay to talk about porn, but it's not okay to talk about greed. That doesn't make sense. And I know just speaking for myself how easy it is to fall into, how deadly it is for my heart. It's a silent killer. And that's why Jesus gave us this idiom. It's like a barometer for the human heart. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of life. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you isn't actually light, but is darkness, how great is that darkness? The eye is the lamp of the body. That's the barometer or the measure that Jesus gives us. But let's be honest. We read that and think, okay, I know the Bible is infallible and Jesus is the wisest person who's ever lived, but that makes no sense. Like none. I get it. That's exactly what I thought when I read it last week. Why, Jesus? I got to speak in riddles. Why can't you just spell it out for us? But then I did some research, and it turns out that Jesus isn't having a stroke. There's just some cultural things that we don't understand. You see, in the ancient world, it wasn't uncommon for someone to talk about the eye as if it had a lamp inside of it. And that lamp would, would shine outwards and, and illuminate the world around us. That's not how we see the eye, but that's the picture they had. So here, Jesus flips that on its head. So now the eye illuminates not the outer world around me, but that which is within. That's what he's saying. The eye illuminates that which is within. Now once again, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us, but it's just lost in translation, and I'll show you. Proverbs 23, verse 6 it says, do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. That's how the English reads, but I want to read the Hebrew. It says, do not eat the bread of a man who is evil of eye. Do not crave his delicacies. And you see where this is going? Proverbs 28, it's the same thing. A greedy man is literally a man who's evil of eye. But the opposite is also true. Proverbs 22, verse 9, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. That's the English, but here's the Hebrew. He who has a good eye will be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. I could give you example after example, because this isn't the only time that Jesus uses that phrase. In Matthew 20, Jesus gives us the parable of the workers in the vineyard. You would know it. Remember, he goes out at 9 o'clock in the morning and gets some laborers, and then he goes out at 12 and gets some more, and then again at 3, and then again at 5. But then at the end of the day, he pays them all the same amount, which really ticks off the guys who've been working all day. We can kind of understand that. 
So they start to grumble and complain, but then the owner says to them, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money, or are you envious because I'm generous? I think you've probably figured out, but the Greek there is actually, is your eye evil because I am good? And Jesus is pulling together two things that don't make a whole lot of sense to us, but it's just lost in translation. Now you could summarize that idiom by saying, the eye is the lamp of the body. It illuminates your inner person. And if your eye is healthy or good, in other words, if you're generous, you're walking in the light. But if your eye is bad, if you're greedy, then you need to know you're walking in the darkness. That's not something to be taken lightly. He says, how great is that darkness? That's the barometer that Jesus gives us. It's the measure. It's generosity. And it makes sense when you think about it because it's an essential part of his character. It's literally everywhere in the scriptures. Look at how he blesses his people despite the fact they turn on him constantly. Look at the cross. What is the cross if not the outrageous generosity of God's love? This is who he is. So how could it not also mark his people? How could it not? You see, generosity is like a window into someone's soul. I don't need this to fuel my sense of security and significance so I can give it away. I can be open-handed with the things that God has given me because I'm satisfied in Him. I'm whole, complete. I know my value and worth. I know who I am in Christ. I can be open-handed the things that God has given me. That's a beautiful thing. That's freedom. That's life. It's a beautiful thing. But it's obviously not true for all of us. Because Jesus finishes with the warning. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And he wouldn't say that or end with that if people weren't really having to go. Trying hard. The truth is that materialism will enslave you. It'll have you endlessly chasing more. It promises everything and delivers nothing, which is why Jesus calls us to a better way. That's why he stands here today and says, give me your heart. Give it to me. Trust me. With the innermost part of your being, I'm for you. I'm always working for your good. So trust me with your heart. You know, Tim Keller shares this story about one of his professors who led these two young ladies to college in one of his classes. And they hadn't grown up in a Christian family. So when they went home for the summer and told their parents that, you know, they encountered God and and he changed their lives and now they wanted to be missionaries both of their parents responded in an incredibly condescending way. They basically said, oh, you've had a religious experience. How great is that? And now you want to be a missionary. That's, that's just so great. 
That is fantastic. It's just such a noble thing to do. But, but you know, it's important to be wise. So why don't you finish your degree first? You need something to fall back on, a bit of security in your life. And we're not saying that you shouldn't do it. We're just saying, why don't you finish your degree, work a job or two, get your career started, get a bit of a foundation, get some security, and then go. And they didn't know how to respond, so they went back to their professor and said, what do we do? Are they right? I mean, what are we supposed to say to our parents? And Dr. Leach, who was one of Tim Keller's professors, said, he said this, he said, here's what I would say to your parents. Tell them we're on a little ball of rock spinning through space. It's called Earth. And who knows if we're going to run into something, but even if we don't, someday, the end of your life, a trapdoor will open up underneath you and you will fall off of this little ball of rock. And when that happens, underneath you will either be the everlasting arms of the Father or nothing at all. And you think a master's degree is going to give you some security. I don't want to read too much into that. It's pointing at the facade that we buy into. We think we're secure. We think we have this buffer between us and the chaos of our world. I'm good, I'm safe, I've got control, even when everything's chaos around me, but it's a facade. We know that. We just saw that through COVID. We saw how people's lives were turned upside down in a moment. You don't have control. You are not in control. We're taken from you in a moment. You know why Jesus is so blunt in this passage? I mean, he commands us to invest into the things of eternity. It's not a suggestion, it's an imperative, a command. You know why he's so blunt? Because he loves you. And it breaks his heart to see people base their security and significance in something that's temporary and fragile and in the grand scheme of eternity, meaningless. And yet here's the beautiful truth of the gospel. On the cross, Jesus said, you are my treasure. I'll set aside the beauty and the wonder of heaven. I'll empty myself. Philippians 2, and I'll take on the form of a servant, and I'll die the death of a criminal. I'll do all of that for you. For this joy set before me, I'll endure the cross, scorning its shame. I'll do that for you, because you are my treasure. You want to be free from money, free to love God with all of your heart. Know the depth of that love. Know it more and more. Know him who treasures you above all else. Understand the life and the joy that's found in that relationship and it will set you free. Because you'll be satisfied in him. Need nothing. And so I can be open-handed with things that God has given me. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. We really are. And we're grateful that it's not about us trying harder. It's not you just putting this ever-increasing burden or load on our back that we just have to do better and do more and be more generous. Thank you, Jesus. It's not about any of that. 
Thank you that it is about you loving us. And that as we delve deeper and deeper into who you are, into the love that you have for us, that actually your spirit does what we can't, your spirit sets us free. Because you satisfy us. You deliver where the things of this world fail again and again and again. And so we thank you, Jesus, that you truly do have life for us, your people. And the other side of that call to love you with everything that we are, everything that we have, is the fullness of life that Jesus came to give us. And we thank you that. And so we pray, Jesus, that we would be a people marked by generosity. And because we're trying to earn anything, but because our hearts are satisfied in you. Because we're overwhelmed by your goodness and your grace. And we need nothing. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Would we be a people who would be marked by generosity? This we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.